0: Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. That is tough. You guys are the true soldiers right there. That's incredible facing this heat with no air conditioning. That is incredible. We're we're glad you're here. It's a little bit noisy in here because last week uh, the AC wasn't really working. So this week we decided, let's go buy some portable AC. So it's a little bit louder, but hopefully it's a little bit cooler. And uh, because you all are so hot in the good sense, the best sense of the word. And so it's just not as cool in this room as we want it. So we worked on trying to get it cooler. So hopefully it's a little bit more comfortable, but we apologize in advance for the noise of the fans. We felt like you would rather be cool and comfortable than hot and not being able to listen. So we're glad that you are here. We'll take your Bible, if you will, to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter number one. And as you're turning there, I also want to ask you a question. So hopefully you can do two things at once. Hopefully you can turn a page and think about answering a question. Here's the question. What makes you happy? First service, immediately, somebody said food. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's kind of given for a lot of us. That's great. But when we think about what makes us happy, isn't it amazing that all of us kind of probably come up with a different definition of what makes us happy? Here's another question. What is the secret to happiness? Ever thought about that? Here's an even better question. Why is happiness even a secret? Like, why keep it a secret? Why is it we live in a world that's like, do you know the secret to happiness? And they even wrote a book called The Secret. I don't know if you watched the movie, but there's a book about it. It's like the secret to happiness. Why does happiness have to be a secret? Here's the other thing. We live in the United States of America. Our declaration has this line that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And then it goes on to say that They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And it goes on to say these three rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of... We live in the United States where we have the right to pursue happiness. Why is it that out of all the countries in the world, statistics say those of us in the West are some of the most unhappy people? I mean, it's right there in our declaration, our founding documents. We have the right to pursue happiness, but yet we struggle with being happy. And here's what's even worse. You would think happiness would be based on if you are young and healthy. You know the unhappiest age group are young people? Isn't that sad? Like you would think we would be happy, but no, we're not. The rest of the world looks at the West and it's like, you guys have it made. My wife is from the Philippines. And so for her, coming to the United States was like winning the lottery, it is huge. And so she will just tell me what it's like over there. And I just realized that even if you didn't grow up with a lot, if you live here in America, you have a lot. You say, no, 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 I'm I'm struggling with a job or I'm struggling with this. Do you own a car? And most of us in this room probably do. Then you are richer than most of the world because most of the world does not even own a car. And some of you are like, I wish I didn't own a car, but these gas prices are so expensive. Well, that's neither here nor there. But yet, we struggle with happiness. And if you ask people, everybody's got a different definition of what happiness is. But my problem is not that other people have a different definition of happiness. Why is it that God's people, the church, we struggle with happiness? Out of all the people, shouldn't God's people understand happiness and be happy? Why is it some of the most grumpy, sour, mean-looking people are Christians? You know, you know, you get your Bible, and you walk out of the door, and your neighbor says, good morning. You're like, oh, I'm headed to church. It's like, why are we grumpy? Why are we mad? But yet, too often, we can be. Well, your Bible's open to Psalms chapter number one. If you have it, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. And I want you to look at verse number one. It says, Blessed is the man, and let's stop right there, because I love that word blessed, and if you grew up in the church, and you're a little bit old school, little Baptist roots, then it's blessed for you, okay? So blessed or blessed, depending on how long you've been going to church, but this word is a great word, and if you're one of those that take notes and underline, you want to underline this word, because this word is a powerful word. It's the Hebrew word "ashra, ashray which literally means happy. But it doesn't just mean like happy, like here's a happy meal or we're going to Disneyland or you won the lottery or your husband did the dishes or you guys are going for a really nice lunch. It's not that kind of happiness. It's so much more than that. There was a show in the early 2000s called Duck Dynasty. And one of the patriarchs of the show, Phil Robertson, he would say this line. and Maybe you can picture it. Uh, He would go fishing. He'd catch a fish and he'd be like, this makes me happy, happy, happy. Or uh, maybe he'd go over and Miss Kay would make squirrel stew and he would say, this is going to make everybody happy, happy, happy. And that's literally this word, ashray. It means happy, happy, happy. But yet when we look in most churches, people don't look happy, happy, happy. We look, if anything, grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. And that's not how God wants it to be. So we continue on with this passage because God wants us to be happy. And some of us are like, no, 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 no. I'm a mature Christian and a mature Christian knows that we're not supposed to be happy. Well, my friend, you're sick in the head. God wants his people to be happy. Now, is it an all the time happiness? No. But does God want us to be happy? Yes. How do we know that? Because not only is he opening the first chapter of Psalms with this word, this word, ashray, is actually the theme of the book of Psalms. It's mentioned 26 times throughout the book. This book is 150 chapters, and it took a span of 1,000 years to compile all 150 Psalms. And so there's a running theme in this book, and it's happiness. God wants his people to be happy. Because what a great testimony to those around us that they see there are some people that they're happy and they're happy not because of some substance they took. They're happy not because they won the lottery. They're not happy just because they may have won a motorcycle. They are happy because of what God has shown them in his word. And so that's what we're looking at. But let's continue reading. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in a season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand at the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." So this passage, you have those that are going to prosper and those that are going to perish. And we're going to find out which one are we. Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people. I pray that you would bless them. God, I thank you that we can gather together on a Sunday morning. We can open your word and we can allow it to speak to our hearts and minister to us. We pray right now for your help. God, do for these people what I can't possibly do. Holy Spirit, would you work in and among us. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Sometimes it seems like happiness has been misplaced, or it's lost. My children will play a game, I have three of them, and uh, they would love to play this game called hide and seek. And so they'll hide all across the house, and it's my job to go and find them. And sometimes it's harder to find them than at other times. Sometimes you'll see, uh, they'll hide behind the curtain, and the curtain will move, or the curtain will giggle. Or underneath the couch, you'll hear the couch giggling. And it's like, okay, that's kind of a giveaway. But my kids aren't the only ones to play hide-and-go-seek. My wife also gets in on the game, but she's really good. And I'm kind of skittish. So when I try to find her, she'll jump out and just scare me. So it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of fun, kind of not. But here's the thing. Some of us think we've got to search for happiness, Like, this is epic quest, and I've got to find happiness. And I don't know if happiness is under here. I don't know if happiness is in this job. I don't know if happiness is in that substance. I don't know if happiness is in that relationship. I don't know if I need to get out of this marriage and go start another one to get some happiness. I don't know if happiness is in the car I'm driving. So this car probably isn't the one making me happy. So I got to go get another car. This house is not making me happy. Let me get a bigger house, a smaller house. This kid isn't making me happy. Let me get another one. No, just kidding. We draw the line there. But some of us, we feel that way. And isn't it isn't amazing we feel like we've got to go on this epic hunt for happiness. And let's stop that as Christians that we feel like we have to hunt for happiness. Because our God is a good God. He doesn't want to send you on a hunt for happiness. And some of us have that because we've grown up in the church and we think that it's all about joy. And let's be honest the Bible does teach about joy. Let us count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations and trials. Yes, we need to count it all joy. But understand, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, not a gift of the Spirit. It means something we develop and we grow. God will develop joy, but happiness is something different entirely. But our culture and our world has bad definitions of happiness. And we've adopted them, or more appropriately, co opted them into our teaching in our life. And so this scripture is going to help us clarify it because he says, blessed is the man. And don't we all want to stop and say, well, I want to be that man or that woman. Like we want that. I want to be happy, happy, happy. So what do I got to do to be happy, happy, happy? Because we're asking ourselves that question. Why can't I be truly happy? The world is asking that question. Why can't I be truly happy? Because that's today's slogan. Do what makes you happy. Here's the problem. If you don't know where happiness is, it's gonna do you no good to do what makes you happy. So the pursuit of happiness doesn't work if you don't know where happiness is. Sorry, Will Smith, it's not gonna work. But yet we have so many people, and I even hear good intentioned Christians say, well, just do what makes you happy. It's like, is there any other worse advice second only to follow your heart? No, Christians, we need to do better and we can. And the scripture lays it out. It says, blessed is the man. And then it starts with the warning label on the bottle. He wants to get the warning out of the way. God gives you the bad news before the good news. And I appreciate that. I would rather get the bad news first so I can end on a high, not end on a low. And so Jesus, he, through, the, through the inspiration of scripture, he gives us this, this passage. He says, hey, you don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And you don't stand in the path of sinners and you don't sit in the seat of the scornful. You see, many times we look at happiness as a destination. You ever heard somebody say, this is my happy place. They're at Burke Williams. This is my happy place. Santana Row, this is my happy place. Bass Pro Shop, this is my happy place. The Nail Salon, this is my happy place. Uh, Big Five Sporting Goods, this is my happy place. Uh, Their job, this is my happy place. Hawaii, this is my happy place. Church, Southwood Church, this is my happy place. That's the only one you're allowed to say thank you. Please, somebody, give them a motorcycle. But it's amazing that we say happiness is this place, but the problem is happiness is not a destination. Happiness is a direction. And that's what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, hey, there's a direction of happiness. And at first, that's somewhat a little bit confusing because they're following culture and the world's following a path that they think happiness is going to be on it. But happiness is not a place. It's a path. So this is good news. You don't have to go to Disneyland to be happy. This is good news. You don't have to go to exotic places and go on expensive trips to be happiness, to be happy. Because happiness is not found and also what happens to you. It's not found in what happens to you. How many times do we um, think we're having a bad day or we can't be happy because of what has happened? Now, that's not to discard that life is hard. The book of Job, chapter number eight, it says, man is not born many days, but as the sparks fly upward, man is born into trouble. Not many days old, and life is filled with trouble. Life is hard. Life is difficult. There is injustice in the world. There is bad things that happen in culture and society, but yet our happiness is not based on what happens. And we should thank God for that, that we don't always have to have everything go our way, but we can still have happiness. So don't wait for hard things to stop in your life to be happy. And happiness is not the absence of adversity. But then here's what's also true. Happiness is not found in what you have. Some of us think, well, if I just had that, then I would be happy. If I just lived there, I would be happy. And yet you look at people that live there that have that, that have those clothes, and you can ask them, are you happy? And they scratch their head and they say, huh, I sure thought I'd be, but I'm not happy. I mean, how sad is this? We are not too far from uh, Tiburon, from where the great comedian committed suicide. You say, how can a guy that was just, no, just known for making us happy. I mean, did Mork and Mindy, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, some of our, our our favorite movies that knew how to make all of us happy was deeply unhappy. He had all the clout anybody could want. He had the money anybody could want. Where he lived, he took his life in a mansion. Some of you, you're in a one-bedroom apartment and you're grateful for your one-bedroom apartment, but he's in a Mansion. He had anything you could want, but yet he was deeply unhappy. So happiness is not based on what happens to you. Happiness is not based on what you have because we live in the United States of America where we just kind of see it and we think, therefore, since I've seen it, I need it. I've got to have it. And understand just because you see it, you can admire it, doesn't mean you need to acquire it. But we live in a culture that just consume, consume, consume. I don't know about you, but have you gone to Costco? and you see something that's on sale, and you talk to your wife or your husband, you say, hey, I think we could use it. There's not many left, but I think it's a good price. Let's grab it, and as you're standing there, somebody else saw you get it, and they look. There's not many left, and they grab one too. There's this great fan. Y'all need to get it. It's called the Wuzu at Costco. It's a little Costco plug. I love that fan. There wasn't a lot left, so I just grabbed one because I know this fan's great. And Somebody else looked at me. saw me grab it, and they just grabbed it, and I just looked at it, and I was like, did you need that? They're like no, but I saw you get it, so I thought I should get it. I was like, that's called the scarcity mentality. That's this mentality that's just like I've got to have it. I just see it, just just consume, consume, consume. And here's what's amazing: you can have all those things and not be happy. There's a book of the Bible. It's called the Book of Ecclesiastes. It's about a man by the name of Solomon who is the wisest man. He had anything his heart could desire, and he was not happy. So happiness is not based on what happens to you. And that's good, my friend, because life is going to be hard. Life isn't always going to go your way. And that frees me because the reality is your marriage may not get better. Your disease may not get cured. You may never get the promotion. Your company may never take off. We may never see America see a sweeping revival and bring the country back to him we may not see those things. And guess what? In the midst of all that, we can still be happy. Not just joyful, but happy. And because we understand it's not based on what happens to me and what I have. Our happiness is based on where we're headed. Because happiness is not a destination. It's a direction. And if you are a born-again child of God, you know where you're headed. You're headed for heaven. And that's what makes us happy this morning. We know where we're headed this morning. And if you don't know where you're headed, today's a great day to receive Christ as our Savior and to understand that we can be born again and be headed on our way to heaven. That's what makes us happy. That's where we can get up in the morning because here's the reality of it, my friend. And please listen and, and hear me on this. If you are a child of God, this is the closest you and I will ever get to hell. Think about it for a second. This earth is the closest you will ever get to hell because God understand that he created a perfect world, but sin broke the world. We are marred by the curse. Because of the curse, we have thorns. Because of the curse, we have pain. And because of the curse, we have disease. Because of the fall, we have war. Because of the fall, we have murder. How many of you read this week about a mother who took a three-year-old and put him in a freezer and he died? What kind of mom does that? When I read that, it made me mad. It upset me. And then I told my kids, you see that freezer? No, I didn't. I did not. I love my children. But something inside of you gets upset and gets angered. The same time I read that, there was another mother walking down the street with her toddler, and some random gunman shot them both dead, and then in the courtroom, the father got so upset because this man could just kill his wife and his toddler in cold blood. he began to lunge at him. That's the world we look at and we live in. But my friend, if you're a child of God, this is the closest to hell we're ever going to get. That helps me, because I know where I'm headed. Do you know where you're headed this morning? Do you know that you have a peace that is found in knowing that Christ is your Savior this morning? So if we know this is the closest we're ever going to get to hell, my friend, if you do not know Jesus is your Savior, this is the closest you're ever getting to heaven. Live it up. You get 70, 80 years. Party. This is it. You go all out. Get as many credit cards. Max them out. Do whatever you want because this is the closest you're ever going to get to heaven. And how sad is that? The world is wonderful. It is beautiful. There are wonderful moments. But understand, we know where happiness is because we know where we're headed this morning. And every child of God, we don't have to be disappointed. We can say, you know, I know my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And because it's written down there, I can sing and I can rejoice and I can be happy and I can deal with these trials and these tribulations because that's what Jesus promised. But my friend, there's coming a new earth. There's coming a new heaven. And God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we look forward to that day. So first of all, we see that happiness is not a destination, but a direction. Secondly, verse number two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So in one sense, we were headed north. Now we're headed south. He says, but we've turned the corner. We've turned direction. So we've talked about what the unhappy person does. They listen to the philosophies and the systems and the wisdom of this world, which doesn't know where happiness is. But the person that is happy, their delights in God's word. That's where their delight is. And what does God's word do in our hearts? When we take in God's word, that's what begins to transform us. So happiness is not a state of being, but it's a state of believing. So when you see God's word, all of a sudden, it's no longer that you're talking to God about your situation. You're talking to your situation about God. You're saying, my God can handle this situation. My God can deal with what is happening here. You see, there's delight in this word. Uh, I don't know about you, but maybe you still have some old love letters from your wife or your husband from before you were married. Hopefully you don't have, you're married and you don't have the old ones for other boyfriends or girlfriends. You might want to get rid of those. But whenever I get a love letter from my wife, man, I would read that and then fold it up, say that's nice and throw it away. No, I didn't. I would read that letter and then I'd reread the letter and then I'd just pour over. I'd just stare at the letter because it was so awesome to get a love letter From this woman that I was dating and then engaged to, thinking to be married to, man, to get that letter. And then I would do this. I'd bring that letter close and I would, (sniffs) I'd smell it because she would spray it with perfume. Oh man, that was awesome. It was like, not only do I get a letter, but oh, it smells good. And then I'd write her a letter and then I'd spray it with Axe Body Spray and send it back and then we broke up. (laughs) Because Axe Body Spray is nasty. If you have that, just get rid of it. Just don't. But there was something about those letters. We say that it's delight to us. God is saying his word should be a delight to the happy person. The man that is happy says this word right here, it is a delight. You see, this word is what helps me. You see, because this world has a lot of things that look pleasurable. And the only way we can stay away from these worldly pleasures is if we take more pleasure in the word and when we delight in it, and then we start believing it. So for us, this state of happiness is not a state of being. And some of us feel like that's what we need to do. We need to get in this perfect state of being, and then we will truly be happy. And God is like, that's not how it works. God is like, happiness is when you believe in what he has said, where God's promises, you take those into your heart. And then he goes on and says, and you meditate there in day and night. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say to read the word of God, but over and over does it say to meditate on the word. And what's powerful is meditation is where we get the nutrients from it. And it's kind of a gross analogy, but here's what the word literally means. It means like a cow who will eat grass and chews on it and chews on it and then swallows it, takes a nap, wakes up, regurgitates it in its mouth, and chews on it more, get the nutrients, swallows it, lays down, takes a nap, wakes up, regurgitates it, chews on it some more, swallows it. He keeps going back to it and getting all the nutrients out of it. Some of us, were like, oh, I got to read the Bible. And we look at it real quick, read a verse, and we're like, excellent, go on with our day. And that's great, but that's not meditating in the Word meditating means to take time, it means to keep going back to it, to get the nutrients, to get the resources out of it, I go to the gym, and I was doing my back squats, and I, 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 cheat a little bit, because I just want to get it over with, I actually don't like the gym, I like to eat, and so if I'm going to eat, I need to go to the gym, and so the more I go to the gym, the more I get to eat, it's just kind of a deal, right, and so I was going to, the, and I was doing these back squats, and man, I would go up and down, up and down, and I was just doing, and then the coach came up and he was like, Micaiah, you're going way too fast, and I was like, No, I'm doing it the way I've always done. I've been going to this gym for seven years, the way I've always done the movement. And he said, yeah, you like the big weight that you're holding, but because you're going down so fast, you're like popping back up, you're not really building the muscle the way you need to. He said, you need to do this. One, two, three, pause. One, two, three. And I said, but that's harder. He said, that's the point. I said, that takes more time. He says, now you're doing the movement properly. Your muscles are getting the full weight and impact of it. You're sitting under the weight. And while you're sitting under the weight, that pressure is doing the work that you want it to do. You see, as you sit in the word of God, allow it to do the work that it needs to do. All of a sudden, believing it is so much easier. You see, some of us have a hard time believing what God's word says because we don't sit in it. We believe what culture says. Culture says something else, and it says something like, hey, you don't need to be married to enjoy intimacy. Just get with whoever you can. And then we wonder why we have so little commitment. We wonder why we see that intimacy is so cheapened. And we wonder why people struggle with being faithful once they are married. Because we've cheapened something that God never intended to be like that. And so we need to get, once again, say, Lord, I delight in your word, and I'm going to meditate in Day and night. And I'm going to take it in and allow that happiness to be something that I believe is happening. Now let's continue on. Verse number three. Notice with me. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. You see the happy person, they prosper. We want to be that happy person that prospers. It says the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Lastly and thirdly, please write this down. Your happiness is to show others what true happiness looks like. You see, this analogy is of a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. You see, a tree that's leaves, don't wither, is an evergreen tree. You and I, we've seen them. They're beautiful. It doesn't matter what time of year. It could be summer, it's green. Fall, it's green. Winter, it's green. Summertime, it's green. God is looking for somebody. You say, I am consistent. Some consistency in Christianity would be nice. And he's saying, this person, they're always green. Why? Because of where they're planted this right here is from my office. It looks pretty. It looks nice. These are the only type of plants that survive around me because they're plastic. They require no maintenance except for a little bit of light dusting and sweeping out any spiderwebs that might get in there. It's the only thing I can keep alive. But it's fake. It's plastic. It looks real. How many people, that's your happiness? It's all fake. It looks real. From a distance, you can see it, and you're like, "That's beautiful. That's nice. But it's not planted by any rivers of water. It's not planted by anything that can produce anything. This, on the other hand, is totally different. This is alive. This is living. But this is not planted, it's potted. And when it's potted, its growth is limited. You see, God is saying, "I'm going to plant you in rivers of water, not a river of water, rivers, because sometimes you go through a season where a river dries up in your life. A marriage dries up, a relationship drives up, a job drives up, a children becomes a prodigal, and that drives up. And so you have to have not just a river a source, but rivers that feed into your life that provide the nutrients. But too many times we as Christians are like, "I'm going to be a potted plant." And that's good. You're a plant, at least you're alive but you're limited on your growth. Your growth will not continue beyond that plant. Sometimes we're potted, but he says, no, no, this is planted. It's something you take into the river and it's planted. Now this means a couple of things when we're planted. It means, first of all, it means ownership. Somebody owned us and planted us. This is the apostle Paul saying, what? No, you're not that your body is bought. You've been bought by Christ Your body's not your own. Your temple is not your own. And he says we're bought. So planting shows ownership that we are God's possession. That means the way I find happiness isn't the way the world may find happiness because this body is not my body. So I won't join this body to somebody else that's not gonna be good for my happiness. I'm not gonna allow something into this body because it's not my body and to just do whatever I want with because I am somebody else's possession. Not only am I somebody else's possession, when you plant it, this has a purpose. God wants your life to have a purpose. He says this tree is planted not just to look pretty. It's an evergreen tree, so it looks good, but it's not just about being beautiful. It's also about being fruitful, and you see it there in the text. It says it brings forth its fruit in its season, but that means we're planted. And we are receiving resource. Please write this down. The source that feeds you. The river. There's a source that needs to feed you. What source is feeding you? Some of us, we know the sources that are feeding us aren't healthy. It's gossip maybe feeding you. That's an unhealthy source. But some of us have no problem sitting for hours just gossiping about our boss, about our spouse, about our children, about other people. And we receive some resource from that. And that's very unhealthy. Anger, bitterness. Last week was Father's Day, and that's a difficult day because some people have a lot of issues with the Father in their life or the Father that was not in their life. It's hard to deal with that day. But here we see that there's a source that feeds you. What source is feeding you? I wrote one word down it's the word church. The church is a source that feeds you. Are you planted in the church? Are you allowing God to take you and say, let's get planted? I want to be planted in something. I don't just want to be potted because it's too easy. If I'm potted, I can just up and move it wherever I want. But when I'm planted, it's much harder to move something that's planted. When I moved from my other house, we sold our house, and then I I wanted to remove a tree. And uh, I found it really hard. So I just took a chainsaw, cut it off, and left it. (laughs) Because the roots went down too deep. So I was like, I'll just chainsaw. It's too hard to move. But if it's potted, I can move that just fine. I can bounce from church, to church, to church, to church. See what I mean? But when we get planted, all of a sudden, there's a difference, isn't there? I love Psalms 92, it says this, "'Those who are planted in the house of the Lord "'shall flourish in the courts of our God. "'They shall still bear fruit in old age. "'They shall be fresh and flourishing.'" Amen. Don't you want that for your life, fresh and flourishing? That's what God wants for his people, to be fresh and flourishing wouldn't culture look at the church totally different if they saw people as fresh and flourishing they saw that joy and happiness in your life see there's a source that feeds you but he talks about the fruit in its season and fruit is for others you see the tree doesn't eat the fruit in case you didn't know that the tree doesn't produce the fruit for itself the fruit that God wants you to produce is not for you the talent that this worship team has is not for them you understand that now there are talented musicians who will use it for them but they've decided that this fruit is for others the gift and calling that you have that fruit that you have is not for you it's not to be eaten by you God wants his followers to be fruitful and that fruit is for others and we need to be a church that says I produce fruit and I love it it gives fruit in its season There's four seasons that we have. You have fall, winter, springtime, summer. Fall, winter, springtime, summer. Fall, winter, springtime, summer. Fall, winter, springtime, summer. It's consistent, it happens. And there's certain times of year you just get fruit. In February, I'd always get oranges. In August, I would always get peaches. I could count on it. Every year, for 10 years when I lived in that home, there was constant, consistent fruit. How much fruit do you produce as a Christian? And is it consistent? Or do people look at your life and sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. God is saying when you are planted, not potted, then you have this fruit that you're producing. And this fruit is for others. And God wants fruitful followers that we produce fruit. But we need to land this plane. We need to close. But think about this. Have you ever been asked what's the difference between a fruit and a vegetable? Quick survey. How many think tomatoes or tomatoes are a vegetable? Let me see your hands. Some of you are like, we're in church, so the answer is always Jesus. I don't care what it actually might be. But there's an age-old debate. Is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable? Well, I looked it up and the internet is always right. And so at least what I, the website I found said, it has a seed, it is a fruit. Fruits have seeds, which means fruits can also become a source in and of themselves. God is saying you're to produce fruit you get it from the source, but then you can be somebody else's source. That's powerful. That you have the impact to reach others. That there's somebody in your life that doesn't have happiness that you can help them receive that. That you can help them understand it's not what's happening to you, it's not what you have, but it's where you are headed. So you can ask them the question where are you headed, my friend? Heaven or hell? And this morning we can, we can make the decision are we going to get planted? As I close, this is gonna offend many of you, especially it broke my wife's heart because this is her favorite flower. A lot of people are like, hey, I'm good, I'm fine. I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be in fellowship. I don't really need to be in community. I'm gonna be just fine. I saw the look in your faces. I know the first service is the same thing. Look at me, I'm not connected to anything and I'm still beautiful. I'm disconnected from my source and I'm still fine. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be in the word. I don't need to be in small group. I don't need to be praying. I don't need to be seeking God. I look just fine. And for a time, it'll look just fine, will it not? But what if we were to set this right here and we come back next Sunday? Because I know all of you are gonna come back next Sunday. And when we come back next Sunday, is that going to look the same next week? No. You see, many times Satan gets us to believe the lie that we can disconnect from our source, and we're going to be fine. We can still find satisfaction somewhere else. You know, you might be able to stick this in some water and a plant. It might try to get some resource It might delay the inevitable, but it's still cut off. How many Christians have uprooted their lives out of the church, out of community, out of fellowship, and they wonder why they're dying on the vine. They wonder why they have no life, no freshness. You see, God created you to be connected. God created you to be planted, not potted, and not plastic. So this morning, our happiness is tied to whether or not we are planted. Are we planted in rivers of the water this morning? with every head bowed and every eye closed let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for this morning we thank you for this word there's so many truths we don't have enough time to unpack it and yet God we want to know where true happiness is we want to know how we can show others where the happiness is but it's too easy to fall for the lie that we could just be plastic and it's fine we look good on the outside and we appear good but there's no life there's nothing or we're just a potted plant we can uproot we can move we're fine our growth is limited but that's okay but God there is prosperity when we are allowed ourselves to be planted by rivers of water that's where we'll still evergreen that's where we will stay fruitful Father we pray that you would bless your church help us in this moment can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed happiness is based on not what happens and not what you have but where you're headed my friend my friend are you here and you don't know Christ as your Savior? Would today you receive Christ as your Savior? Would that be you? Say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I don't want to go through life not knowing Him. Is that you? Would you slip up your hand? Can I pray for you? Amen. God bless you in the back. God bless you. I see that hand. Amen. I'd love to pray with you after the service if you come find me. The most important decision of your life is to receive Christ as your Savior. Secondly, maybe you're struggling with this thing of happiness. Maybe you've gotten around the round crowd and you thought happiness is based in what you have or what's happening to you and because of those two factors you feel like you are right in not being happy but this morning God is challenging you and he's reminding you that you are headed to heaven therefore you can be happy and you say this morning pastor just pray for me, is that you? can I pray for you? oh amen, I see that hand, amen amen, anybody else? oh praise God for you, thank you for your honesty let me pray as we to close out our service Heavenly Father we think that we can gather we can open up your word and we can look at its truths God I pray that you would speak to our hearts Lord you are so so good to us God you work all things together for good but Lord help us to realize that we can be happy in the midst of all these things it's not a state of being it's a state of believing so help us this morning help those that raise their hand they're struggling this morning maybe they're struggling with some real needs and I pray that you would meet those, Father. Help us. We're your needy people. We're just dust, as all the psalms say. So help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you remain standing? Let's sing in one more worship song before we dismissed. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to South Ridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one.